This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the My Man Said podcast. It's international break time. Joining me to uh, catch up on a, a, a few things. I had a meeting at Bodymore Heath for the fan consultation group, which I really didn't talk about uh, in the main show. So since there's an international break, let's talk about some of the themes uh, because I got to meet Emery's coaching staff and uh, Johan Lang and Austin McPhee. So there's a few insights there. So joining me to uh, go through those, uh, Mr. Phil Shaw, Mr. Chris Budd, welcome. Thank you very Hello. much. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. How are you enjoying international break? Oh, you know, I, you know, I always buzz <laughs> over those international breaks. <laughs> there's no structure to this show. This is literally off the cuff. But uh, there was a meeting, it, it was a transitional meeting from uh, the fan consultation group to the fan advisory board, which the club have done in accordance to the new Premier League diktat, which came out earlier in the week, which is, a, there's a response, there's so many responses here, which was a response to the uh, white paper, which derived from the fan-led review back in uh, last year. Time keeps flying by, was it end of 2021 i can't remember i was yeah. i was involved in the uh, the fan led review tracy crouch orchestrated it so a couple of meetings with her the mp and also actually sent something into them related to uh, what happened to Villa and Dr. Tony because I spotted a loophole at why he bought the club. So but basically, there needs to be a better governance of football, better regulation of uh, football governance, and also supporters should have more stake in the game because they've seen their clubs disappear in some cases uh, off the face of the earth. And while other clubs have got into financial trouble and financial ruin and ultimately it's it's bad actors and bad practice and there's so much money in the game now that obviously it's uh, open to let's say corruption and uh opportunities shall we say especially from china <laughs> mentioning no names when this white paper came out it has to go into legislation there's been delays because obviously the government keep changing prime minister and if you change your prime minister then your cabinet changes as well so all the people looking after the football governance side of thing has been uh, kind of a revolving door so hopefully now there's a bit of stability 
And they're looking at the next King's Speech, which would be like the autumn, would get this up and running. So what the Premier League are doing, they're trying to get their house in order desperately. So they're making the changes, they're making the decisions. So when this paper is put into practice, they can say, oh, we've already done that. We've already done, you know, we've already done this. We've already done that. So you don't, you know, you don't have to do that. So the idea is they've done it on their terms. So it's, they're they're laying the tracks in front of the train is what they're trying to do. So one of the things they're doing is trying to officially get this fan consultation down. Now, to Villa's credit, you know, we go back to Mr. Hollis, who came in uh, when Randy Lerner needed to sell the club. So uh, Hollis came in as acting chairman really to, as he said, I mean, still one of the best quotes I've ever heard in a meeting. It's a belter. His job was basically (laughs) to put as much lipstick on the pig as possible and sell it. (laughs) And we haven't stopped trying to do so since. It's a mantra. It ended up the buyer of the pig was Dr. Tony with his magical disappearing money. But a couple of Villa staff who actually are still there, some of the good guys, I mean, I had a mental list of people that needed to leave that club if it was to go on as a proper decent business and they've long since gone but these two people actually proposed there should be a fan consultation type setup hollis said it was a great idea didn't see why there should be any problems this is a quick history behind it then uh, they were putting together who should join it or how it should be joined and uh, one of these two people actually uh, was against my old man said joining because i just thought we were of a troublemaker but what the other person said to them was uh, well, you don't want a load of yes people in in such a group. And if you've got somebody who's kind of smart and asking the right questions, and by the way, you know, we're not troublemakers. We are pointing out what's wrong. And 100% the club were in the wrong in those times. I could list hundreds of examples. That's why I just mentioned certain people had to leave that club. You know, a lot of fans sometimes don't realize it's not, the club isn't holier than thou. The club is just the club. It's the people, you know, sometimes the people are the bad actors making bad decisions that reflect badly on the club. And that's why your club doesn't succeed. And very much, very much like in politics, some people just don't like being held to account, do they? They don't like being called out on their fuck-ups. No, you know there, there was so much going wrong. I mean, I you know there I was minding my own business. You know that's why how my old man started, and you know I saw that there was going to be uh, protests against these newspapers' rumours of uh, Alex McLeish coming to power, and I was thinking, surely the club have to say something. You can't allow a protest to happen over newspaper rumours because there'd just been rumours of McLaren, and I don't know how much the, it was the fans' reaction that talked them down. I think it was, but. I very quickly uh, realized there's not many people who really understand football properly because there I was, you know, contacting the club saying, "Uh, I think you have a kind of a duty of care here to put a statement out to say if you really were interested in McLeish, you know, I understand you want to do business in private, but this is kind of a bit of a unique situation because not only is he the Blues manager, but he's also somebody whose club, the Blues, have just been relegated. So what kind of ambition is that? Anyway, I'm I'm kind of digressing, but uh, I went to the cinema after after I sent them that email and they put the statement out before, before I'd even got out of the cinema. And then I was on a call at midnight to like to half two in the morning with the uh, the head of communications then discussing the merits of uh, McLeish as manager. <laughs> and I was like, what is this? Is this professional football? Because I'm just a fan minding my own business. I was living in London at the time. I'd just come back from living abroad. And you're like, this is ridiculous. Aren't there, isn't there an infrastructure? Aren't there any fans that are like doing anything to stop this? 
And there was a few talking shops for doing nothing, shall we say, and some people that, you know, think they're Mr. Aston Villa, but they don't actually know how to combat situations like this. But also they don't, you know, it's, it's not up to them, really. I suppose it's not their responsibility to uh, keep an eye out on things for uh, supporters. You know, I'm not saying uh, it's mine or anybody else's, but something has to be done. So anyway, fan consultation group, positive move. So here we are. We have had one for a good part of five years or so six years other clubs still don't have them other clubs fans are completely in the dark villas one has progressively got better and better in terms of the transparency of the club obviously every time a new ceo comes you have to kind of build that trust that relationship and i think we're at a point now where perslo et al uh, can communicate openly and uh, the fact that they had a when we requested a meeting about this betting sponsor on the front of shirts they actually had that meeting and spoke very openly about the the situation. Obviously, you know, such meetings, you're not broadcasting them live on YouTube because they just turn into clickbait. And at that time, you've got an ongoing contract with a kazoo and incoming and outgoing relationship, which you can't compromise with comments. So it has to be behind closed doors. But the important thing is we were allowed to relay the statement and using language to get around the legalities, paint the picture. But most clubs that wouldn't even entertain that. And, you know, Villa were going to have a consultation group meeting about that new sponsor, but it was going to be like in June or sometime, a lot closer to the event. If you're just looking at this as a business, then that fan consultation group is like a, it's a free marketing group, really, for you to run ideas by or see if there's any problems with any ideas you've got, essentially. If you want to boil it down, if you don't really understand uh, it from a football point of view. So anyway, so basically it's a rebranding. I mean, I've said it probably needs better communication or a kind of a set procedure on communication. Although ultimately it's up to all the individual groups that are there because there's very representations of different uh, people and supporter groups within uh, the villa fraternity we don't have to agree on everything like that betting thing lots of fans don't give a shit about betting sponsors so you've got to reflect that it's all right having uh, you know a few people that were like you know this, sh- this should be banned you know it shouldn't happen and it, you know will be banned eventually this is like one last real cash grab by villa because they just happen to be out of contract with the sponsor and gambling companies are playing over the odds now because they know it's one last hurrah so it's kind of taking advantage of that, really, in, in a nutshell. But, you know, if, if I was completely 100% anti-gambling, I can't. I can raise the, the you know, the ethics and all that. But if I've got my old man said readers and listeners who actually don't care, and you see, you know, you see the comments, there's a good proportion that don't, then, you, you know, I'm not speaking for them, am I? So I'm not going to push that and very conscious of that. So in this meeting, we hadn't been to Bodymore since covid actually and so since then it's been rebuilt so it was kind of a half meeting for that and then a quick tour around while you're there so when we got there actually johan lang the sporting director was sitting at the table just before the uh the meeting in terms of what i've just spoken about the evolution of it so that was interesting to chat to him and you know i asked him a, a few questions about the direction of villa and how his role has changed under smith gerard and Emery, because all of them are very different managers, aren't they? Big time. Yeah. You were hoping that a sporting director would be 
basically running the show in the way that kind of Brentford and Brighton do. Those are two of the examples I mentioned. In terms of having your, it's almost like the factory set up, isn't it? It's like your football factory for producing players, your scouting. And if you have a way of playing that that way of playing should be replicated from, you know, your youth teams all the way up to the first team. So your youth team players know how to play I mean, this is something like previous sporting directors, like Steve Round, was very much about getting a predefined Villa way. And the Villa engine, obviously, is a term that supporters would have heard from this these meetings. And but but Lang wasn't that wasn't that committed on it. He, he didn't start sloganeering in the same way as you know previous people had with Villa engine, Villa way. He was saying it's more of an evolution which seems to suggest he's, okay, he's doing his, the scouting thing in terms of the bigger picture, but he's not really locked into any specific path. Did he come across as a bit passive, did he, or, or just yeah, non-committal? I mean, You're detached, maybe? I wonder if it's just not an immediate priority. It's kind of it's quite an, an idealistic thing. Where it's like, actually, as long as we're winning games and we're winning them in a relative style that the manager wants to play in, we, not many teams have a really defined identity, do they? And those ones that do are generally... It's really deep rooted, you know, sort of Barcelona and City. It's a, like a ten year project, if you want to call it that, to get to that. Yeah, I mean, like Steve Round said, he he want he would want Villa to be known for like attacking football. That if you come to Villa Park, you know you're going to get it. If if you know what I mean, it's going to be mm-hmm. a, a tough a tough day at the office. I think. I mean, even I mentioned the word. I mean, I know it's kind of idealistic, uh, as I said to Lang. You know, this notion of a Villa way, whatever. But I said in the broad strokes, are we in a situation where we're pretty comfortable no matter what manager comes in, I said. But at the same time, you, you look at the managers we're coming. We know to break that top six cartel, you're going to have to do something special. Mm-hmm. So the new managers that come in are invariably big personalities and have their own way. And Gerard's way is distinctly different from uh, Emery's vice versa. So it's not as if you're getting those kind of managers to sit on top of what you're doing in the in the scheme of things. They are literally bringing in their own ethoses or even creating them from within yeah and i said at the same time you've also what i'm talking about that's kind of sustainability is are we in a position or are we heading to a position where we don't have to use a middleman club like you know somebody like a uh, brighton or a brentford i mean brentford you know watkins conza hogan spending big money over players that maybe if our scouting was a bit sharper and our infrastructure was more on point, we would get them before the middleman club pop in. He said, how many players have Brentford sold since they've been in the Premier League? And I said, well, you know, like Brighton example, Trossard, he gets picked off. But I said, you know, and I said the three players that we bought off them when obviously we got promoted and they weren't that far behind. And I said, you know, we took them off. We took their best players. It didn't stop them getting promoted and being more successful than we have uh, this season. So it's like this seems to me a lot of millions is kind of wasted there. And you would prefer to be in as well as picking the odd player, you know, 20, 25 million, you'd, you'd be hoping you'd be buying those players at a cheaper price if you've done your due diligence where you don't have to uh, pay somebody like Brentford 20 million for a player that's actually untested in the Premier League only for them to then burn you and beat you and actually earn more money in the placings in the Premier League. It's like they win twice. They actually don't need the player they've sold you for 20 million and then they're going to, you know, they make more of you. So it it doesn't think like conclusive from mentioning that. I suppose a step in the right direction, as I said to him, I said, is Duran more of an example of trying to get to that point where you're getting in early? And he he, he actually did a little case study and and talked about the signing of Duran 
and said this it's almost like a happy accident here he, he, you know he explained that he said you know people talk about data and 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 analytics but it's probably people are reading too much into that because once a player gets to a certain age like 15 16 then they've acquired a certain amount of games that are getting you know statistically uh counted you know it pops up on notifications on all these you know scouting software everybody's got it and then people go "Mm, okay you know depending on the club's need or uh they uh the race starts so villa were actually watching uh in terms of chicago fire the 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 goalkeeper that actually ended up at chelsea gabriel is it slanina and then when martinez blossomed they thought well do we really need to make such an outlay on such a keeper? Because I think they paid like 10, is it $10 million uh, rising up to 15 based on performance? So they, they didn't really fancy that with Martinez because you, you backup keeper really, you know, you don't want to be going over like 5 million, do you really? And, and of course with the wages as well. Yeah, no, exactly. Because, you know, you're not gonna, he's not going to see much game time. So anyway, during watching him, they saw Duran and, uh, you know, Duran had popped up on their notifications, so to speak. And they were kind of impressed just, you know, physically as well at that age because he's, uh, he's still a baby. I mean, there's... Great profile, any of a player. He's an absolute yeah. unit. Yeah, because as Lang said, he said, you know, here's a guy that's younger than Louis Barry. People forget this. And, you know, he's kind of a baby in terms of football terms. But, you know, you wouldn't think that when you see him. No, that was shocking whenever you, you said that in some for the weekend. He's younger than Louis Barry. It really puts it in. It's like a shock to the system, isn't it? You're just like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. So they, they saw him three times. They went out three times to watch him. And as he got more time, because he, he was coming off the bench a lot, then he was he was getting amongst the goals. And it was pretty uh, swiftly they realized uh, they were interested to the extent they actually had his dad over in November and they got this video together where it showed his dad like Engels because they're both from the same hometown aren't they in uh, Colombia mm-hmm. which showed how Engel went from that same town to Villa and so they're basically saying you know here's the path also there's a massive culture difference now at Villa than there was when Engel came because obviously Engel had problem with his uh, his kid was ill his baby his wife Obviously, she's having to move to a land where she can't speak the language, etc. So now it's it's a different world at Villa. Well, with all your liaisons and stuff, they, they basically set everything up for you and they do everything in their power to make you settle as fast as possible. Whereas back then it became yeah. like, right, there's your house in Sutton, there's a car, see you at training at nine o'clock. Yeah, and that goes down to, you know, looking after the wife and, you know, any kids. So, you know, it's more, a lot more thorough now. I did, I did mention Engel's experience to uh, Lang. That was almost like the the Angel was one was where the penny drops and kind of typical with Villa. It's, from my experiences, it's not a lot of foresight. Something has to happen first before this change, but that's kind of typical of a lot of uh, establishments, I think, mm-hmm. a- across uh, you know all kinds of industries. In terms of Kamara, he, he mentioned. Uh, I mean, Kamara was a real thorough piece of work. I mean, they watched him 17 times. Easier to watch a player in France than it is uh, in, in America, obviously, if, you, if you're actually flying out with your own eyeballs. And the main draw of Kamara, similar to Ollie Watkins, was just that consistency of, uh, of not getting injured, that's for starters. But in Kamara's case, I mean, he was like a teenager when he was playing for Marseille, and he, he had played 80% of their last four seasons. And then he arrives at Villa. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the irony. But, you know, here's a young guy, early 20s, and he's playing 80% of the games 
for a Champions League team. So they thought, in terms of a young player, it's not as if he's, you know, 15 games a season, lots of promise. He's actually, he's he's up and running, like 100%. And then the fact that he's available on a free was just, I remember we were sitting in the meetings with Persler before and him saying, we kind of had no right getting this guy. Like in the open market, we would not get him. We just, we were so quick, so ahead of the curve that all the big European teams were kind of sleeping on him. Yeah, and I think they use the Gerard card to get that over the line as well. I mean, sometimes it doesn't matter what the manager's done overall, but it, every dog has his day. Like Steve Bruce got John McGinn, Gerard, yeah. big part of getting uh, Kamara. Go, sorry, going back to Duran. Uh, also, the timing of uh, Emery coming in and being Spanish speaking because Duran's English isn't up to scratch. That was an, also a big swayer in the Duran thing as well, in terms of helping him settle so he could have a proper conversation, you know, with the with the manager. So that all worked out well. And of course, a number of the players will be able to converse with him and help him settle in with this, uh, the rest of the South American contingent. They were selling him, you know, the culture and an environment that he could flourish in on and off the, off the field. I mean, you know, we spoke about scouting and uh, the idea that they noticed uh, there were some deficiencies at different age levels. That's why uh, when Edens and uh, Suarez came in, they were pretty aggressive. You know, you'd have noticed we started buying under 16 under 18 players for you know half a million quarter of a million or whatever the prices mm-hmm. were like proper transfer fees we were took west brom's best players so the idea was to be the big dog straight off the bat local area if somebody's doing it well west brom were doing it it's like right we'll take your your coach and we'll take your players and they said pretty much that's what we did in terms of the blues and the women's football it's like right we need to get to the next level quickly before we then go on to another level so let's get the infrastructure that's already done it and women's football it was like get car award in I think there's a, a few players also that have come our way and then in the, the under the, well the academy level it was uh, just basically p- pillage West Brom and then once you got that set in then you know you build your villa identity on top of that going forward it was basically filling in the, the voids, filling in the holes before moving forward. So there's a, you know, there's a bit of aggression there. You, you assimilate like the Borg, your, uh, mm. your opposition. Takeover. Yeah, hostile takeover. It's like the mob, it's like a Godfather film. <laughs> yeah, then uh, after Lang left, and we, we finished, with, then we carried on the meeting, just what, what I said earlier on. Then when we went to the gym to see the big open gym, which is huge, by the way, it's the one you, you see on social media where they're playing basketball and stuff. I mean, we had a good tour around that, the players' lounge and all that extra stuff. Uh, but in the gym, we bumped into Emery's right-hand man coach, uh, Paco, and also Damien, who is uh, the chief of staff. Chief of staff basically acts as your one point to Emery. And it's, it's not like, uh, you know, they're all hanging out like buddies. Like Emery is is the man and he's in his office and the others are even though obviously they've worked with him they are workers as opposed to being peers if you know what i mean it's not like they're they're his team yeah and they're working for him and they're feeding up and uh, this damien chap he's the one who talks to the tactical uh, department the analysis department the medical team and then feeds it up to emery so emery doesn't have to deal with five six seven different voices yeah no no greek chorus or no skies chorus anymore Indeed. Yeah, it's like a you know easy chain of command, but uh, this I mean they're very affable. Uh, I think I mentioned it in the previous podcast. They're very funny, you know, each of them, and even Lang said it. It's like, can you can you tell your fellow fans to just be calm when we're playing out the back, <laughs> and basically just pipe down. 
<laughs> stop telling Douglas Dewey's to shoot from corners. Yeah, that was another thing he said. And um, by the way, can you stop uh, telling Doug- Dougie to shoot from corners? And that was when uh, <laughs> no. they said, and, and Austin McPhee came in, and then he, and he said, yeah, Austin's been working on something all day, and we saw that against Bournemouth. That was that short corner that Ramsey that led to the handball. It worked well as well. It was a shame about it. That. Was it two, three times they tried it and it kind of nearly came off a few times? Little variations of it and stuff. But they were, were, were we talking about set pieces because they were talking about, you know, Austin getting flack and stuff. And it's like, you know, the way he looks at his job also, it's like against West Ham. That they knew there was going to be a threat from corners. And unfortunately, you know, they, West Ham had 12, 13 corners and they were really happy with how they repelled them. Because they was, you know, that was a bun fight, and you could see mm-hmm. uh, it was a tussle before everyone was taken. So there's obviously some input there, tactical, what they were doing to try to ruffle West Ham's feathers. So that was a big success. That's like what you would call a, a McPhee success, with in the defensive point of view. It said while you see the odd one, that would be like I thought we could defend. You know, what's McPhee doing? He should be defending set pieces. There may be like one that slips through, but then it's like the the volume, the numbers. So if you've mm-hmm. got West Ham 12 corners, then obviously the more corners they're going to have, the more chance there's going to be one that slips through. Yeah, and there was the, there was the one earlier in the year, wasn't there? I think you were in a meeting where they'd, they'd spoken about, I think it was Forest, wasn't it? We hit, we kept hitting the wall. And then Austin yeah. Fee, we ended up going back, measuring them all out and saying, we're only, we're actually, you know, they're not the full yardage here. We're only, it's almost like eight, you know, two, three feet point. short or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, the next time the, the ref had to stride it out properly. And I think it was the, the first Emory Manchester game. United. Yeah. yeah, and of course, Dina whipped one in the top corner, and he's thinking, "Well done, <laughs> Mister McPhee." And there was obviously there was the Brentford one earlier in the year. So there are moments, you know, he's, he's not going to just you know strike gold every time, is he? And of course, they're hard to execute, and the the opposition are allowed to actually try and stop you. It's not training ground football, but um, I see his role. I think I, I suppose he's a he's like an extra. <clears throat> it's a, one of those roles, isn't it, to try and squeeze every last marginal gain out of controllable things. Yeah, so in, in terms of that example, it was uh, in training, Douglas Louise and Coutinho were like whipping free kicks over the wall, you know, 95% of the time. And then Gerard in the aftermath, he was like, what the fuck is going on? How come 95% of the time, Dougie and Coutinho get it over the wall and it's either going top bins or it's on target at least. And in game, it's never happening. And then that's when McPhee studied the tape and it was, you know, they were 8.3 yards away, the walls, you know, 8.7. Because the refs don't stride it out properly, do they, basically? So that's when they obviously got in touch with the referee board and say, you know, what are you doing? And then obviously next game, United, bing, bang, bosh. Poor old Gerard never got uh, to benefit from that uh, protest and poor old De Gea didn't get anywhere near. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hear it. <laughs> the main thing the coach has said, the, the thing that Emery, that get, he gets him the most angry is when they give the ball away. And I think that Leicester game uh, probably went a bit bananas over. And, uh, you know, the coaches... And Arsenal, were, were, he was angry, wasn't he, as well? Yeah. And, you know, the coaches joked, I said this on the show before, where they say, you know, we apologise for some of the goals we've given away. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> From going through this process of learning, and, you know, we've said it a hundred times almost... Uh, same happened with Barca. They were giving away silly goals when Pep started to... to City. Yeah. So it is a learning curve. But that's the good thing is that now at least we're in that stage of the season where we know we're safe when we've got so many games left that we can... There's a great amount of games to actually practice and get this down. And we're getting results at the same time, which mm. it's a win-win. Well, playing with freedom is a big, a big thing, isn't it, for players? And not having to feel the pressure. And I think you kind of enjoy playing that way. Especially with the players we've got. They're all kind of ball-playing kind of guys. We've not really got that many rough-and-tumble, crash-bang-wallet players other than McGinn, I would say. So they're getting to actually play football in the way they would like and to express themselves. We've got some of the more technically talented players that we've had, I think, uh, in my time as supporting the team. Especially midfield. So, yeah, so you've got to play to their strengths. And you see players like Louise completely different beast player, isn't it? <laughs> yeah you know as people r- r- will remind me you know I was happy I'll take the money 23 million see you later mm-hmm. son good luck to you all of a sudden now he's kind of big player well, we haven't missed Kamara no but this is no, the thing which is a big surprise we always said this he said there's so much upside to a lot of these players but the problem is we weren't seeing it you know Buendia is a lot better than what we've seen Danny Ings I still Ings think he's got more was much better I still think Buen- yeah I still think Buendia's got another level and Danny Ings we cashed out on Watkins there's another level that, the man who scored 14 league goals who hit the post was it three or four times in that season who had a couple of really really close far offside decisions you knew just based on that his first season at Villa that he could get 20 goals and that's been the marker and so you know there's a lot of upside for him and Cash as well if you want to go a bit more defensive Mings even you know he's Mings is much better isn't he if he's more consistent and he's and a lot of his brain farts were in possession yeah so this is something that Emery's going to iron out and has started to iron out Oh, he's man-to-man, like, defending stuff. I mean, we saw that against Haaland, didn't we, under Gerrard? We thought this could be a, a bit of a bloody afternoon for him. And he, and he stood up to one of the best strikers in the world for 90 yeah. minutes. So going back to the Luis thing, I mean, at the time, would I have cashed out? Well, yes, because if they're not going to try to get the best out of him, we don't actually know how good he is based on what we've seen. But if they're not going to try to play constructively, you might as well cash out. But now, you know, you've got him again, who you would have probably have cashed out on at some point. Some fans were kind of giving up on him. And I was like saying, well, I'd still have him on the bench in any Villa team, like the best mm-hmm. version of Villa. He, I, I know he can do things that other players perhaps can't do. And he's also got that, that kind of good attitude that you need. 
And he's starting to come good again. He's starting to look like the player we know he can be. Yeah, and he has got attributes that also Emery can use in a different way to how he's how he's been portrayed as a player before. Yep. So yeah, the way we're playing is is a way. If you're a player of uh, a, a talent level of a, a lot of these Villa players, uh, then you will you'll be happy. You'll be playing with a smile on your face, as he always used to say about Dwight York. Yeah, because yeah, it's what we've said before. Is I mean, these players in front of your eyes are actually getting better. I mean, they said yeah when Jared come Collectively, in, yeah, the, yeah when Jared come in, the players got worse over a period of time. Dean Smith improved a few, but didn't you know it? It wasn't the same level. The teams moving forward almost in like a like a steady upward curve. Yeah, f- funny enough, the thing about Gerard, of all you know, the always the mitigation for Gerard, where you felt a bit sorry for him was his big buys were Kamara. Carlos and then Luca Dean and you're thinking well they were injured and you know, he didn't get a fair crack of the whip and then as soon as Emery comes in Kamara's fit and Dania scores in the first game <laughs> yeah Dina scores in the first game Kamara actually came off the bench that was his kind of return and then he, he started every game since and so you're thinking well you know whatever life goes on but you look at the Villa team now Carlos hasn't been playing Kamara hasn't been playing Luca Dean's been relegated to the bench we're not even using those players and and we're we're looking good for you know, four games unbeaten and his guy you know his bumper signing in Coutinho you just you almost forget he plays for us at times he's not even yeah and he's not playing as well so those four main signings under Gerard, okay the mitigation was well they didn't really all get to play together for any su- sustainable amount of time and then you know you kind of mitigated in the back of your mind well you know that kind of led to his downfall a bit but now you're thinking well actually it doesn't really matter does it because uh, Emery hasn't got any of those players what he's done is marshaled the team got a style down and he, they've been learning on the job through the season and you now see the difference between Emery yep. and Gerard in the cold light of day with Iqbal Moreno the same players yeah and you look at the signing that he has done in, in Moreno and you think well Dina came in and how much better than Matty Target was he because he's injured all the time you'd say not a huge amount probably in terms of stats not a huge amount of difference with Moreno even in his first game you thought oh hello and you're sort of starting to see it every week now and you kind of go next season this guy is going to be great because he's settling yeah. in. He's getting used to the pace of the game. You're seeing his, what he can do going forward. And he's given us a completely new dimension that, you know, Dean, you can go forward, but he's not that kind of player, is he? He's not dynamic in the same way Moreno is. And you think, wow, okay, there's, there's, a, there's a piece in the puzzle. It'll be interesting to see what he does with the right-hand side, you know, having not spent that much yeah. money in January. That'll be the thing. It'll be, I think they'll be really concentrating on the right-hand side because we're pretty well stocked in all other areas. And as you've said a few times, David, to upgrade what we have in the middle of the park now, you're spending record transfer fee numbers to improve those players. But yeah, that right-hand side, you've, you've seen it then, left-hand side. We've got the players to take players on, to create space, to he likes a Ramsey, Moreno, Buendira are bursting through, taking men on. And even obviously, and Watkins goes left. Yeah, the right-hand side isn't as an obvious threat. It's almost like that's, that's the side we do, like a counter-attack rather than any sustainable build-up yeah. play. I think it is. It is because Watkins naturally drifts left, and yeah. there's just there's just an extra man then. But if you had somebody that could exploit that right hand side, maybe a bit more. Who knows what other teams would then have to do? They would have to split their defense. And yeah, then be, it, be it you know like a either Bailey leveling up or be it a fullback who can do what Moreno does on the other side. You think I don't know where the dynamic would come from. It would probably come further forward. I think 
at this point. But you know, you, you know, a summer sort of, well, the rest of the season and then a pre-season coaching cash, just knocking him into shape. I thought he's actually looked better the last few weeks after yeah. a difficult spell after the World Cup. And you think, well, if if you can sort of build him up to the player that you want him to be, then great. You know, it saves you money. I just, you know, as we've always said, you don't want to be just dipping into the market for the sake of it. Then you end up in the realms of buying squad filler. You want to be going out now and buying players that actually improve your first 11. But that's obviously you know, a few months away now. And of course, we don't know what Diego Carlos is going to do and what the dynamic that could change. You know, if if someone like Conza all of a sudden would be looking over his shoulder, you know, as we understand, you know, Carlos will have, well, at the time of this going out, Carlos would have probably played a behind closed doors game. And if, you know, Emery will, will know him, won't he? So, yeah. you know, whether he can either throw him back in or he sort of just eases him back in with a view to being the main man next season. I think he will see action before the end of the season because... Uh, yeah. Emery will want to take a look at him. Even it's not like he's replaced whoever he replaces. It's more of let me have a look at you. Yeah, and then the real games can start in preseason, and then you'll have what is the best centre back pairing at Villa starting next season. And I'd like to think that similar to last year uh, under Gerard with the sort of the Kamara and the Carlos deal, because we didn't go ballistic in January, you'd like to think that even as soon as the window shut, they were kind of already working on the summer stuff. With yeah. a view to kind of move quickly, and it might be that we, you know behind the scenes they already know what they're doing. It's just a case of you know sort of signing off on it and hitting the green button when it's when it's go time. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure they they are. Uh, I mean, they obviously didn't say anything or hint at anything. Uh, well, Lang didn't in in that meeting. But in terms of, I mean, I've said it before. In terms of Emery, wouldn't have taken the job unless he was fairly happy with uh, most of the existing team. Yeah. It's just, and and now he's getting a tune out of them and we're getting to the level of where we can trust them. But, and we know they can get better. This is uh, only the start. They're still learning. Yeah. So the good news is I don't think we'll go on the beach. We keep talking about the beach. 11th no, I don't, the beach. I don't think because we will. Because it's a continual learning and there's an enthusiasm to uh, get this down. And the guys, the coaches, the, these are the guys you, you kind of want to please and work for. Just from you know my experience of meeting him, the certain characters obviously. I mean, this could have gone really bad if players weren't buying into this. Remember the the French English division back in oh, the relegation God. season. Yeah. So this is you know you could have players talking behind their back. You know the manager's English isn't one hundred percent, and you know they can start joking about it and whatever. But I think because you've got such an infusion of the top players Spanish speaking, you're not going to have that problem. There's a different dynamic about this squad. So those divisions in the squad, you, you're not going to have that. And one word that was put to us by the Villa staff uh, in this meeting was, I think this is about eight o'clock, we're talking to the coaches. So, uh, you know, they're, they're working long hours. Now, this isn't like Emery's staff work to eight or nine. Uh, previous managers, everybody clocked out at five. Gerard McAllister and that coaching group, you know, they, they stayed late as well. But what's been noticed is these guys seem to, they be they're staying late for a purpose they have a purpose they're not just like kind of hanging around at you know eight o'clock socializing or you know chatting about other things these people are like they're enjoying their work and it's everything has a purpose so i think that remains to the end of the season because they they are so clear in their what they are building and it's really building for next season well they'll go into every they'll go into every game with right this game we want to show we can do this in this game we want to prove that and they'll they'll have sort of in-game targets if you want to call it that yeah but of course things they want to learn doorways open i mean if you come away from stanford bridge with a win and then you follow that up with a win against forest then suddenly the table looks a hell of a lot different and and then you have the chance of achieving something 
yeah, you reset your objectives and you go, oh, hang on a minute, we're fast tracking. We can actually achieve what we were aiming to achieve next season. We can probably achieve it this season because we're playing well and why the hell not? Mitigate that said, we have a tough end to the season, but football's a funny game. The team that's kind of on it can beat a lot of teams. You know, games are unpredictable. Mid-table teams way ahead of uh, the relegation teams sometimes get slapped by the relegation teams because they're so fired up for points so you say you say it's a hard running but if you want it to be in your own hands and if you're playing all the teams above you it is in your own hands i mean you don't you you could you could be sitting beating um southampton leicester and leeds and yet brentford fulham and brighton are winning that all at the same time but if you're playing brentford fulham or brighton and you beat them it's like it's the that's why they call the six pointers the swing personally i'm just thinking right next season i'm looking forward to next season next season and this season is like you've got two ways of enjoying games you're watching to see how we're developing and then you're watching the game you know as a whatever the result's going to be in that context so everything now is a potential bonus as i said uh, it, this season could flip i think the chelsea game if you, if you win that then uh, people like put down the newspaper and go oh hang on a minute (laughs) yeah i think it would be that a bit like the united game it would especially now having you know emery's done a lot of the heavy lifting work with the players it would kind of really validate what they're trying to do you know the man U game in isolation was it was your first game man you weren't on it on the day it can happen great as it was to do it now against a big team like you know we've got to go to anfield tottenham at home where our record's been dreadful that would be a big win We've got Newcastle to come to Villa Park with the way they've been doing this season. That becomes two really sort of similar-ish teams going really head-to-head. That's got the prospect of being a great game. There's some yeah. really good games there. And it, wouldn't it be great to go into Brighton at home on the last day with something to play for? Yeah. But that's not my expectation. It's like it's a bit a, a bit like you know, the 10-game the run. It's like let's just go on an adventure and see where we end up come you know, 28th of May. Yeah, I think uh, we're going from little expectations to there's still a potential for something to happen but at the end of the day the, there's a bigger picture and that bigger picture is when uh, Emery's had a chance to bed this his ethos down in half a season then he gets a summer to let's say tweak the match day squad and then we go we start the season a completely different beast really mm-hmm. and then it doesn't matter who you're playing really but we get to see where we're at properly without any excuses any mitigation and hopefully we'll be teleported back to how we were mixing it up well back in the 90s uh, or even Martin O'Neill I suppose those that the era O'Neill or the Atkinson or the little days I'd probably prefer the Brian Little days because I think if, if Emery was to achieve what Brian Little had done if you could win a trophy finish fourth and get to a cup semi-final he'd be considered somewhat godlike wouldn't he at this point in time yeah but uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves right this was a uh, kind of a straight off the cuff show rather than uh, having the traditional uh, structure of the podcast but uh, i just wanted to fill out more of the insights that we got the insights that the press can't actually get because uh, when they visit body heath there's a there's a media center newly constructed media center which is built in the car park i like to refer to it as a glorified porter cabin where the media are kept at arm's length. So the good thing the club do, obviously, with these consultation meetings is it kind of gives like somebody like me, who obviously has the ethos of my old man said, is, is a lot more through the lens of supporters as opposed to like fanboying over players and uh, hyping that kind of side of things up. So from that point of view, it's good to uh, meet the actual coaching staff, etc., to get that side 
because you know you're not expecting them to tell you exactly who they're signing and all that kind of stuff it's you know that's their job to do but it's good to have an inkling of where we're going what the vibes are to put it that way uh, behind the scenes and to uh, pass that on via this podcast so please do support the show if you can and become a myomensa member to get even uh, closer to the situation and the information and communication i mean it's mainly done through match club which if you are already a member of my old man said and you haven't hooked up to match club then you're kind of missing out on uh, the premise of it there's a survey that if you went once when you leave uh, as a member and if anybody says not constant enough communication it's like well you you weren't obviously a member of match club because it's like daily hourly as well as uh, match club you also get extra shows and we did a debrief from uh, the body more heath trip on the night actually so that was like a couple of weeks ago say so the extra shows keep you in the loop uh, a bit more quickly than the, the main shows and also if you are annoyed by ads and uh, aren't we all uh, you also get ad free versions of the my Old man said podcast as well so please do support the show obviously the more members we get the more we can expand operations so many ideas but uh, time and uh, infrastructure is also a problem but the more members and the more we can actually fulfill what uh, we want to do ultimately so please do go to the my Old man said website at myomensaid.com and click on the members link thank you very much and don't forget to follow the podcast on whatever app you use to listen to it on and follow all the social media which is at my Old man said on twitter facebook tiktok instagram etc right any final words not from me enjoy the international break it's nice not to be in that uh what a nine team relegation battle oh yes although that's going to be interesting actually that's kind of a nice little extra season down there isn't it yeah just to be sitting above that lording it looking from our balcony down below those nine teams an extra level of intrigue uh, but for me big turning point this chelsea game because if we win that then it's like chelsea will shit their pants and potter will probably be sacked <laughs> and that'll be good in itself and also i think with with after the the, uh, the FA Cup madness at Old Trafford, it, it looks highly likely that Fulham are going to be without Mitrovic for quite a while. Of which they've got a good team and they've been playing very well this year. Credit where credit's due. But you take their main goal scorer out of that team, and it's a different it's a different beast. Yeah, I've, I think we should hunt them down. I'd be surprised if we don't hunt them down and eradicate their threat. <laughs> Same with Brentford, hopefully. But before we go, a big shout out also to uh, the Villa women's team in the FA Cup semi-final. If we can win that, I mean... We did say at the start of the season, wouldn't it be great to win the FA Cup? We didn't say which which one, so you yeah. never know. I mean, there's obviously Chelsea will be a pain and the arse to beat. Well, Chelsea are the dominant force, aren't they, at the moment? Hopefully, though. Hopefully, they'll uh, get to the final by hook or crook. I mean, they've beaten Manchester City twice in three games. Unbeaten in three, won two of them. So if they can do that, that will give them the belief in the semi that it's possible to get to the final. And uh, that'll be a good bonus day out. If we do win the FA Cup, I suppose technically, then I've seen Villa win everything. Although it's not. There's <laughs> a Commonwealth bull ready. We're worried thinking John McGinn was going to read it, but maybe it'll be it'll be Rachel Daly on it instead. Who knows? Yeah, we did uh, predict on the podcast cover. We had John McGinn dreaming about being on sitting on the top of that Birmingham bull from the Commonwealth Games lifting the FA Cup. Maybe it was a prophecy, but we just got the wrong gender. Never mind, we'll take it. Right, until next time, until something for the weekend before our trip to Stamford Bridge, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye.
away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.